So I'd actually like to, to begin this, this talk this evening with um, reading again the poem that Jenny read this afternoon, uh, which is, is for me one of the most beautiful poems that I know. So I'd just like to read it again. And it's called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. So that's the talk. Almost feels that adding anything is too much. So what what is this poet? What is she asking of us with this poem? What is she asking of us? For me, she's asking us to look at at our life and at life and to question what it is that we're looking for, what it is that we're searching for, and where is it to be found. She's also very much pointing to the teachings of uncertainty, the fragility of life, our life, all life. And I'd like to begin this evening's exploration with that, to look more at uncertainty. And when we open our eyes, as we've been doing, 
when we open our eyes and we look at our own lives and we look at the world that we live in, then uncertainty is very um, clear, it's very obvious, it's very there. The Pali word anicca, sometimes translated as impermanence, changeability, not knowing. And the experience of it is very much an experience of groundlessness, many times. And we really open to this this changeable and uncertain nature of life. It's like having the ground pulled from underneath us, which is usually not an experience we particularly find pleasant. (coughs) It's probably why we tend to try and avoid it as best as we can. And yet, it's there. Again, like the state of the planet, the state of our societies, our own personal lives, it's there. The American teacher, Joseph Goldstein, he talks about uncertainty, talks about anicca in that. That's my favorite way of talking about it. He says, anything can happen at any time. This is what it means. Anything can happen at any time. And just to, to put that out there, and to have that resonate in the space, that understanding. And so, as I was saying, often how it impacts us is this sense of groundlessness and insecurity. We connect to the lack of security in life. And we try to find ground, you know, which is very understandable. And it's also the message that our societies send out to us, you know, find ground find security, find safety. You know, buy this, do that, avoid that person or that food group. And, you know, you'll get, you know, you'll get control. You'll get certainty. So that's one common way that we are kind of taught or shown how to deal with the fundamental uncertainty of our lives. And the other, the other side of that same spectrum is um, feeling overwhelmed by it, getting overwhelmed, depressed. And that's, so that's kind of the, the, the spectrum, that's what we're offered. It's quite grim, I know. But that's what we're offered. And it's worth reflecting on our own experience and whether any of that spectrum has proven useful or helpful to us. You know, the fact that we're here intimates that probably not. But it's still worth reflecting on that. With the understanding that the fact that we do that a lot of the time isn't, you know, wrong or bad or not wise. It's a natural human tendency to deal with uncertainty. And we all do it. Even Dharma teachers. Yeah. 
So what can we do? What can we do with this uncertainty that's at the core of our human condition? I've been speaking about that over the days already. Dharma teachings offer us another possibility, another approach. And that's the approach of turning towards uncertainty, turning towards changeability, turning towards groundlessness, turning towards that instead of away from. And turning towards that as a, as a way as a possibility of living well with uncertainty and change, living well. And hopefully, I'll be able to, to make some sense of that. The, um, Joanna Macy, we've mentioned a lot, she, she um, says, you know, it's like we can live life with uncertainty being like a beautiful view that's there you know, outside, you know, just in front of us. It's a beautiful view. So acknowledging that the future is uncertain. Opens us to the possibility that what we do with this uncertainty actually matters. Yeah, the future is uncertain. The future is unknown. What we do has an impact. We have a choice. We can respond. And so we can actually open to the gifts that uncertainty offers. So not getting overwhelmed by the groundlessness and the fear that arises being open to the possibilities and the gifts that are there can become a source of strength for us can become a source of strength so kind of turning it on its head and so I'd like to um give an example from my own experience which hopefully will um, make this a little bit more um, clear and accessible. So this is um, uh, something that happened when I was um, doing a work retreat in, uh, in a leprosy community in, in central India. Um, a place that I've been going to for 12 years and running work retreats there um, for 12 years. And one of the the things that we do there is that we work um, in the old people's home of the community with the the elders um, who've all, you know, all have the effects. There's a few people here who've been there, I can see them smiling. (laughs) They all have the... uh, um, suffer from the effects of leprosy, and uh, we come in and and we do very simple things. You know, we we brush hair, and we 
um, cut nails and we massage um, achy bodies and apply lots and lots of oil. Because oil is good. And um, so this, this happened in one of the, the first years that I was working in the, in, with the old women in the community. And I used to come in and you know, do my uh, very unprofessional massage, basically rubbing oil in <laughs> to, the, to the skin and, and brush the hair. And um, there weren't many of us there, so there'd always be a, a queue. Um, and there was some ladies that would, you know, wait patiently, and uh, some that would be more uh, persistent or demanding. And uh, one of them was called Janabai, and she um, she was very demanding. So you know, she would uh, you know talk to me and poke me. <laughs> And you know, shove me, or sometimes shove the other old lady out of the way. That was massaging. It was very demanding. And uh, of course, this was uh, quite challenging for me to to work with. You know, how to how to address that, how to uh, relate to her. And I was what I what I realized when I started paying attention to, to what I was doing was that I was afraid of her actually. I was afraid of her pain. Um, I was afraid that if I um, turned to her and gave her the attention that she wanted, I would get overwhelmed. And she had... Um, Part of what happens with leprosy sometimes, especially with the deterioration of, of, of aging, is that the, the, the muscles are not getting stimulated and, and they just kind of get um, less and less pronounced and active. So her, her arms were getting very thin and also in her hands she almost had no... Um, they were going very flat, very, very flat. And she was in, in pain and also... Um, a lot of distress, you know, because it was getting more and more difficult for her to feed herself, you know, using the hands. It's getting more and more difficult. So that slowly I was able to look and see more of, of what was going on for her. And one day, I, I, walked, I walked to the old people's home for my... Um, morning work and on the way I decided that today I was going to give Janabai whatever she wanted so I would begin with her and I would stay with her for as long as she wanted me to didn't matter what the cue would be I would just stay with her and and I did and um, in much less time than I would have imagined. Um, she was she was satisfied, and she you know said thank you and 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 walked away. And this was a really really interesting experience for me. Very very interesting.
interesting, and I'd, I'd like to just share some of the um, reflections that I had about it. You know, one was that real, you know, the fear was based on actually a sense of knowing. I actually thought I knew what would happen. You know, if I gave her attention, I would get overwhelmed, and her demands would grow. Yeah, she would expect that every day, or whatever. You know, it was actually based on on a sense of certainty. And when I opened to the direct experience of her pain and her distress, and let go of my ideas, actually opened to the unknown, allowed myself to be with her, to be with us, actually. That allowed a shift to happen. That shift happening didn't mean that um, that she changed or that I changed. By the way, <laughs> you know. So over the the next days and also the following years, you know, I was still impatient. Um, you know, she was still needy. That hadn't changed completely, but the space between us had changed which made the whole interaction completely different. Completely different. And I would have to remind myself sometimes to turn towards her instead of away from her. You know, the patterns would, would still come up. But every time I did, and every time I experienced that change in the space, that seeing of each other that we shared, then the shift would grow more deep. It took metta, it took compassion, you know, towards myself, towards her, towards others, of course. Very much part of the of the process. And often at the end of the massage, we would just look into each other's eyes for a moment, and there'd be this kind of um, non-verbal, but very deep contact which I kind of was like, see you later. You know, that trust. See you later. I still feel that, um, that you know, she was a great teacher for me. And even though she, she passed away a few years ago, I, I still meet her. <laughs> you know, I meet her in myself. There's certainly aspects of myself, of me, that are you know, needy and demanding. I meet her in other people. And she's with me in a way that can remind me to not be sure. Yeah, not be sure about what is not certain. And to open to possibility. So when we open to the uncertainty of life, whether it's our view of ourselves or someone else, whether it's the groundlessness of our human existence, when we open to that uncertainty, we also open to possibility and potential. This is really important. 
we also open to possibility and potential. And when we acknowledge that the future is not certain, then there's room. There's room for us to to play a role (coughs) in influencing it. There's room for us to play a role in influencing it. Sometimes not knowing, not knowing, not knowing what the outcome of our actions will be, not knowing what the future holds, actually really can mobilize us. It calls us to attention. It gathers our attention. And we can get in touch with our resources. We can get in touch with our, with our gifts. We can get in touch with our goodness, our aspirations, our goodwill. Getting in touch with uncertainty also helps us meet the present. Yeah, it's a great reminder of what is here right now in this moment. What is here? I don't know what is in the future. So can I meet what's here right now? when we connect to this place of centeredness in us that can hold uncertainty, that can hold unknowing. Instead of taking things personally, instead of taking things dramatically, we can respond wisely. This is really important if we want to change the world. Yeah. When we connect to a place of centeredness in us or to an aspiration to find this centeredness in us. allows us to not take things personally, not take things dramatically, not make a drama, not feed the drama if it's already there. And then we can respond with wisdom and compassion. So this attitude of centeredness, I'm going to throw another Pali word at you, is um, called upeka, usually translated as equanimity. It belongs to the same family as metta, as loving-kindness and compassion. And so it's usually translated as equanimity. There's actually many, many translations of it. And I'm just going to share three with you here that I find very helpful. So I've already spoken of it as an attitude of centeredness. It's also translated as seeing with patience or seeing with understanding. So seeing with patience and with understanding, seeing the big picture, the big view. And it's sometimes translated as um, to look over 
something. So again, that having perspective, having a big view over time and over conditions. And so this place of centeredness, this upeka, is actually what we're uh, working towards where this looking at uncertainty, looking at impermanence, looking at groundlessness. It's where they, that direct looking, where it leads us to. It leads us to establishing a heart that is attuned with life. that can include all aspects of life. You know, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the gratitude and the pain. It can hold all of it. Got space for all of it. And again, this gives us tremendous resources. and opens us to wise and appropriate action. And it's really important to um, feel how this equanimity, this upeka, isn't a shutting down, isn't a distancing from, you know, this evenness or centeredness. It's not a shutting down, it's not a distancing from And the word equanimity in English sometimes can give us a a bit of that flavor. It's actually a quality of incredible openness, sensitivity and aliveness. Incredible sensitivity and aliveness. So another um, example from my experience here about this. And um, this was something that happened um, when I was in, in Israel a few years ago. And a very close friend of mine, um, who happened to be Palestinian, uh, was, was undergoing chemotherapy treatments for, for cancer. And even though she was a Palestinian and she was going for treatment in a Palestinian hospital, she had to cross through Israel to get to the hospital, which means that she needed to get a permit from the Israeli military, which is very unfortunately very common. And this permit um, would last for, um, I can't remember, a month or two months. It, it, was, it wasn't long enough for the, for the whole period of, of the treatment that she was undergoing. So um, she was very close to her next treatment and her permit hadn't been renewed yet. And so she was in a lot of distress, as you could imagine. And... Um, I was trying to help by, um, as an Israeli, I could phone 
wasn't quite, hadn't been renewed yet. And I found myself in a situation where I was kind of phoning one person and they were saying, oh, it's not me. You know, phone this person, giving me another, oh, it's not me, you know. And um, so, you know, I was sitting at my mother's house and, and making these phone calls. And uh, eventually I, I, uh, I spoke to, um, you know, someone gave me the phone number of someone else and I, I phoned this, this uh, young woman. And, uh, and she got really annoyed because uh, I'd phoned her personal mobile. And uh, she said, why is everyone phoning me, you know? And so... I think you can all, everyone in this room can imagine the situation. Uh, like, yeah, I'm phoning you on your personal mobile, but my friend is dying. Which wasn't a useful thing to say. Wasn't a useful thing to say. And so there was enough centeredness in me to, to really stay steady. And so when the young woman, you know, finished expressing her frustration, you know, and it very possibly was her day off, or, you know, I don't know what I didn't ask, I said to her, you know, I understand that you're annoyed that I'm phoning you, but I'd like to ask you a question. And she said, okay. And I said, you know, have you ever had a family member or a friend who was ill with cancer? And she, she stopped. And you could hear the silence. And then she said, no, thankfully not. And I, I said to her, you know, we were, we were in a conversation then. And I said, you know, I'm really, really glad to hear that. And I hope it stays that way. And I'm also sure that if you had a friend, if you had a family member, if you had someone you loved and cared about, you would do everything you could to help them. And she said, yeah, you're right. And so I said, well, here's, this is where I'm at. I have a friend, she's sick, she needs chemotherapy. I'm trying to help her. And she said, okay. How can I help her? So, that kind of possibility, when we're able to access that place of centeredness in us, which holds the big picture, which does not separate into us and them, bad guys and good guys, but sees the humanity in all of us and is able to connect to what we all share. Like we've been doing in the exercises, you know, we all, all beings, not just human beings, all beings, experience pain, experience suffering. All beings. All beings want to be happy. When we can hold that, then we 
can connect to our own possibility to stay centered and to respond wisely and to transform the world (laughs) yeah to transform the world in that moment not just for ourselves not just for those we're directly trying to help cultivating this place of stillness, of centeredness in us. A place that is deeply connected to all of life. Nothing, no one, is outside of that. Not being agitated by the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. And yet being deeply, deeply concerned with life. Yeah. Deeply, deeply concerned, deeply committed to alleviating suffering in whatever way we can, whenever that's possible. That everything and everyone in this world, everything and everyone, is m- affected by countless conditions including us. And our actions, our intentions, our aspirations, our speech, are one of the conditions that affects the world. You know, that's, that's something. Something. So without depending on specific results, you know, without depending on specific results, can we remember that our choices, our actions matter? Joanna Macy tells um, a very beautiful story about traveling in Tibet and coming across a group of monks that were rebuilding their monastery after it had been destroyed by um, the Chinese authorities. And um, she spent some time with them. You know, they were working really hard physically rebuilding the monastery. And she said to them, you know, but how do you know that that, you know, in a month or two or five years or whatever, they won't come and destroy the monastery again. How do you know? You're working so hard. And, you know, they said, we don't know. (laughs) Obviously. You know, they could at any moment. And yet, if we don't rebuild, it's not going to get done. You know, if we don't rebuild the monastery, it will never exist again. And so doing the right thing, doing what is needed, without attachment to results or to permanence or to certainty,
So that kind of strength of, of intention, like those monks, is needed. It's needed in this world. You know, we know that. We see it. It's needed in our own lives. That strength, strength of intention, of doing what needs to be done. Because if we don't, it won't happen. A great foundation for that intention can be bodhicitta, which is another Pali word, another Pali term. And that's that heartfelt wish and aspiration for the welfare of all beings. So building the monastery for the welfare of all beings. You know, taking our seat in the hall for the welfare of all beings. Doing our walking practice for the welfare of all beings. Making that the foundation for the way we are in the world. In Dharma teachings, bodhicitta is is seen as something incredibly precious. It's like a a small flame that we we build. You know, it starts from a small little flame and we build up the fire of it. It's something to, to treasure. It's something to protect and nourish in ourselves. And it can guide us. Yeah, it can guide us, it can shine through us. And it may seem, you know, lofty or beyond us, but like I was just saying, you know, every time we act from compassion, we're nourishing it. Every time we prioritize listening, we act from it. Every time we have the intention to be kind to ourselves or another. We're nourishing it. And it really helps to remember that we each have something to offer. Many times it feels like, you know, I'm so small and insignificant, what can I do to change? And yet, we each have something to offer, we each have a contribution to make. And when we allow ourselves to make that contribution, you know, as small as it is, as small as it may seem, in that moment. We're contributing to the healing of the world and we're making our own lives better because we're not separate from the rest of existence. And we discover that joy and beauty and peace are not separate. They're not separate from pain 
They're not separate from groundlessness. They're not separate from uncertainty. They coexist. They live together. And in opening to one, we open to both. So opening, opening to fear, opening to uncertainty, opening to richness and beauty and joy, letting them hold us and us, each of us, hold them in our being, the totality, the beauty of being alive. We don't need to be Gandhi or Mother Teresa to make a difference. We just need to be who we are. And we just need to stay true to our intention to live with compassion and wisdom and kindness. So I'd just like to end with... um, the last bit of the poem again, but before that just an image that someone very special shared with me once and I'd like to share with you and um, it's an image of of meditation what meditation is and so this was something that um, I, was, I was told by um, Baba Amte, who's the founder of the leprosy community that I spent time in. And uh, at the time, he was in his 90s, uh, very near the end of his life. He dedicated his life to creating this, this um, forest of bliss, as it's called. And during the retreat that we run there, we do a, a one-week meditation retreat in their agricultural lands, and then we come to the main community for the work and meditation retreat. And um, the place where we do the silent retreat used to be his favorite place, but he, was, he couldn't go there anymore <laughs> because um, he was too frail. So every time we used to come back, he, he'd want to, um, to meet with us, with the whole group and here about it and what what it was like and so this was one of those times and you know people just said a few things about the meditation retreat and and what a wonderful place it was to meditate in and then he said you know I don't know much about meditation but when I was young I once saw a tree And this tree had roots that were so powerful that they grew into the earth and created a space. They created a cave 
And this cave was such a special place that all the wild creatures used to come and rest there. And I think that's what meditation is. It's creating a space that's so special and so safe that the wild creatures can come and rest. And so in our practice, having that aspiration create a place so rooted and so safe that even the wildest creatures can come and rest and be at peace. So I think I will end with that. I'll leave the echo of the poem to echo. Let's have a, a quiet moment together. And feel free to stay in any position that you're comfortable in. May the roots of our practice continue to deepen and grow. Nourishing centeredness, compassion, wisdom, and the willingness to live life fully. May our practice together be for the welfare and the benefit of all beings everywhere, including ourselves. May all beings everywhere be free from suffering and its causes. and listening. Uh, we have a little time if there's any questions or comments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.